Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. Lots packed in today's show. We'll be reflecting on a brilliant round of the county championship. Hasib Amid is back. Essex finally lose. Spin continues to do the business in April. We'll also be looking at the recent week's action in the IPL. And with New Zealand visiting England in a month's time, we look back at one of the Black Caps' most memorable visits to these shores when they sent England to the bottom of the test rankings in 1999, a series that Butch not only played in, but skippered a test in. I'm Yazran and I'm joined by former England batsman Mark Butcher, uh, former England captain Mark Butcher, Wizarding Cricket Monthly magazine editor Joe Harmon and the editor-in-chief of Wizarding Cricket Monthly, Phil Walker. Let's start with the county championship. The moment that captured fans' imaginations the most, I think, two moments really, um, was surely Hasib Hamid's twin hundreds against Worcestershire, his first tons for not, and just his second and third first-class hundreds since he played for England all the way back in 2016. Since ball-by-ball ball data for the championship existed, which came around in the in the late 90s, no one has faced more balls in a county championship game than Hamid in this one. Um, Joe, lovely to see him score lots of runs. So nice. So nice. I think for his own good... We shouldn't get too excited at this point. It was a pretty flat deck by the looks of it against a decent but not high quality county attack. Um, but, you know, let's just, let's just be thankful that he's back and doing what he did before, eating up loads of balls, batting beautifully and looking confident again. And there were signs of it last year. He got a few 50s in the Bob Willis. So it's not a huge surprise that he's he's turned the corner, but it obviously has been a long time coming. It must feel amazing for him to be back in form after, and he must have been tearing his hair out, wondering how he could buy a run because the decline was, we see declines in young players, it, it happens all the time, but his was fairly extraordinary from the high that he'd reached in India to the, to the lows he'd reached in Lancashire seconds. Um, it's a lovely story and I hope it's got a, a happy ending with a test recall sooner rather than later, but not too soon, I would hasten to add. Worcestershire did have Alzari Joseph in their attack and also um, Knotts did have to follow on in the first innings that Hamid gets his 100, Knotts end up following on and they had a lot to do to, to get themselves back into the game and secure that draw. So it were, there were two very important innings. Um, Fred Stanley asks, is Adam Lythe no hair versus Hasib Hamid too much hair? The first big decision of Chris Silverwood's time in charge of selection. Birch, what do you reckon? <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I, I, I doubt very much whether or not whether um, Chris Silverwood has the uh, has the the, the the know-how in terms of um, hairstyles really to make that distinction. Um, and given that he has so many other things to do, uh, 
in his new role as Supremo, Yorkshire Supremos. Um, then I, I don't know. I, I, again, we had the conversation at great length about Adam Lyde last time. I, I kind of, I still, I still don't see him making a, getting a recall. But I think that there is there is absolute reason to be um, thrilled about Hamid and, and a little bit overexcited. Just simply, be, I mean, five years is a heck of a long time, a heck of a long time to go through the sort of trot that he had. And even if it never it, it, it develops into being a recall to the England side. Um, just for the just for the, for the lad's own personal um, state of mind, I think it's a wonderful, wonderful story. And you know, I I, I picked him out at the beginning of the year as sort of saying, keep an eye on this guy. If if he makes it through, if he comes, if the if the, the corner is turned, um, you know, you never know. We might see him back in the England side as those are the, one of the places um, potentially up for grabs. And he's he's done all he can do. Um, let's see how he gets on this week. And uh, I, I hope he I hope he makes more runs because he's a terrific player. He really is. I think Knotts and Peter Moore deserve a bit of credit here as well I mean I think not 29 games without a, a win so there's not too much to cheer about there but it had all obviously gone horribly wrong from at Lancashire and, and not seemed a good move Peter Moore's people who work with him at county level seem to love working with him particularly uh, in terms of, of batting technique and getting back in the groove and, and that seems to have worked really well so I think that's another kind of hat tip to Peter Moore's who does an extraordinary job in county cricket even if it's not quite working out or not at the moment mm. Phil wh- why, why do you think people were so excited about Hamid when he first broke through in, in 2016 he obviously did well in his three games for England but it was that season in 2016 before then that really got people talking and really got people excited about him yeah and excited inside the game as well among the players there was that famous line from Graham Onions when he was bowling uh, uh, for Durham against Lanks um, and he was saying, well, you know, it's not even worth me bowling today because I know I'm not going to get you out and you're going to bat all day. And this was a 19-year-old kid. Uh, what was it, four or five hundreds, I think, that first I think it's four hundreds in that summer, yeah. Four hundreds in that summer. Um, Two hundreds in a match as well. Uh, and there was an impishness to him uh, in India, which was, which was lovable. And then you saw it backed up with a brilliant, well, a very good 80-odd. Um, and then... A significant 50-odd with a broken hand in the second innings and even Coley afterwards ordained him as, as, a, as a player that will be having a long and fruitful test career. And then what happened? Well, the game happened. And what became initially a blip became a chasm and then a, a big dark black hole that he was very close to falling into, I think. And, and he had to get out of Lancashire for myriad reasons. And I think that has all eased now and I don't think there's anyone there that wishes him anything other than, than the best of fortune from here on in. But it was it was a real dark night of the soul spread over, what, three years, four years? Now, you'd have, you'd have seen players, talented players in your time going through ruts, but this, is, that, this was the mother of all ruts, really. And, uh, and as Joe says, Knotts did well because they gave him the vice-captaincy. They obviously rehabilitated him initially and it's a very delicate process with a young player and a player who's gone through what he's gone through. Uh, but what you do see still is, the, the, is, is, is that innate class. And, and I watched the highlights. I mean, I wasn't going to watch it live when you know they're just blocking out on day four on a Sunday afternoon. But I did watch the highlights and there is still that touch. There is still that touch there. Uh, that marked him out initially. Um, he's a player who caresses it uh, through the gaps and, and angles, you know, beautifully behind square and so on. He's that kind of player. Um, just going back to the hair, I know him a bit on WhatsApp 
and it's been fascinating to watch the, the, the descent because when he was early on, his fo- little profile on WhatsApp was a man who was kind of loving life, you know, sprightly, you know, uh, joy in his face. And then you saw the WhatsApp pictures change over time. And there was one where he was in a passenger seat in a car and just staring, thousand yard <laughs> stare past the camera. Well, that'd be one hell of a photo story. We should run that. Well, magazine. indeed. I'm waiting <laughs> for him to, to really kick in. We can stick him back in the magazine and say, right. <laughs> I see. Cards on the table. Get out your old your old WhatsApp pictures. You, you know the, thing, the the beauty about this about him watching him play, and I watched him play as a, as an England under nineteen before he made it into uh, into the to the big time. Was he just looks like a batting machine, and I don't mean that in sort of a, like an automaton. Um, you know, his movements are very very fluid. He as he, as Phil says, he's sort of like he he rides the ball. He looks like he's born to bat and to score runs. Um, and, you know, th- th- there are lots of other players w- who would have fallen by the wayside. But not very many players get the chance to kind of to do what he did on, on the international stage before the fall happens. For most guys, it's kind of like they show a bit of promise, second 11, make a couple of hundreds in the first team, second year syndrome kicks in, disappear without a trace, that type of thing. This was slightly different because everybody could see, everybody could see, there was somebody very, very special there, so he was worth persevering with. It was just trying to unlock whatever the demons were that were going on in his own head, in his own personal life, and just sort of have the patience to uh, to sit in and, and wait for that to come back again. And uh, I suppose the beauty with Knotts is, is Knotts are always looking for players from elsewhere, so he's the perfect place for, the, <laughs> for that rehabilitation to come from. Nice and everyone will be saying, you know, pots and kettles, Surrey and all that kind of stuff, but not to, I the, we weren't not to the Kings. We not to the Kings. <laughs> I noticed if you if you follow um, Knots on on Twitter, they make um, a real effort to to point out which of their players are academy players. So whenever an academy player does well, like mm. lo- local academy product, Liam Patterson White strikes again. The message has come down yeah. from on high. I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, just after we recorded last week's show, England announced that Ed Smith will no longer be the England national selector. The role no longer exists. Chris Silverwood now assumes ultimate responsibility for selection. Um, Butch, what do you think of the move? What do you think of the restructure? Something that England haven't done before. Well, not since not since good old Illy back in uh, '95. And that went. Well. I mean, I, do, I kind of don't understand it, and I, I I don't understand that there is no longer a need for a role of national selector. It feels to me a little bit like one of those decisions where the pendulum has swung too far to the left. And then it swings all the way back to the right rather than nestling somewhere in the middle. You know, the momentum drags it all the way off to the extreme on the other side. Um, because, as we all know, the, 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 the coach of the, the national team does not get a chance to go and sit around and watch county cricket. Doesn't do it. Don't, don't, they don't see anybody. So they're always relying on other people's eyes and other people's opinions in the first place. Now, at least with Ed Smith, because he had very few other uh, you know, responsibilities, could actually go and spend time and do those jobs. Once England start playing, you know, Chris Silverwood could be and will be around watching cricket at the moment. But as soon as the England team swings into action again, he's disappeared. He's off the scene. He's got no idea what's going on beyond what his advisors are telling him. So I, I, find, it, I find it curious particularly given that he has so many other responsibilities and so many other areas whereby um, he's having to either put out fires or be responsible um, for, for you know, different split captains, different, um, different needs of, of players being rested, bubbles, all this other kind of stuff. Does he need that too? 
Is that going to be the best use of his time and resources to have that job added on? I'm not sure. Uh, in fact, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it, it isn't. Particularly in this year, the, given the schedule yeah. they've got, given the, the strength of the opposition, in, in that's a lot year. of responsibility yeah. to and, have And on I know shoulders. he'll have trusted lieutenants, and I know that, that you know people that have been involved in the scouting setup will continue to do so and continue to, to do a good job and continue to give good reports by... I'm not. I don't understand. But somebody, not. somebody, somebody, explain to me why why it would be a good thing for him to have everything on his plate. So I'm not. I'm not saying it's a good thing for for one person to have this much responsibility. But I wonder if um, the process of selection is just different to how it used to be. So, is there more data involved? Um, is it that once people are in the pathway system, coaches have more sway? Coaches uh, who, who who coach England under 19, England Lions, etc. So the need to have someone who's got an eye for a player is but, less but than I, it might have used to be. But I still think that you need to that the, the coach needs to be separate from because the, a coach is responsible for results, right? Head coach responsible for results, responsible for getting the teams that are under his care to go out there and perform and play in the now. A selector's job is, is far more wide-ranging than that. You're looking at people for potentially for two or three years down the road. You're looking for decisions that you might have to make, um, pragmatic ones that you might have to make on a player like Adam Lyth, for example, who might be a little bit older than you think, but you think, well, maybe now is the time for somebody like him. And the, the coach having, then having to be responsible for that, as well as the results of the team that he's in charge of, is very, very difficult. Because if you're because you're making decisions, if I if I'm in charge and it's my job on the line, I'm thinking about today, and maybe the the game next week. I'm not thinking about three years down the line. Now a selector has to be thinking that much further ahead, and cannot be held you know and shouldn't be held responsible for the results of today, given he's trying to do a job for tomorrow as well. So I, I find that those those two things don't work. I, th- I think there's too much of a conflict there. I think the interesting character here is is Mo Bobat, who many of our listeners might never have heard of before. I mean, he's ECB's performance director, I think, is still his title. Uh, and he seems to have a, a lot of responsibility, a lot of sway, and, and the kind of funnel of analysing performance and data seems to come through him. So I think he will be reporting to Silverwood. He will be making a lot of recommendations to Silverwood, not instructions, but recommendations. But the thing is, if England then go and get thrashed in the ashes lose the thing 5-0, everyone's saying, well, we played badly and the selections were poor. No one's going to say Mo Bobat needs to go because <laughs> no one's going to know who Mo Bobat is. It's going to be Silverwood that, that carries the can for that. Yeah. If I was him, I wouldn't really want this responsibility, to be honest. I mean, you know, and the, the rumours, the, you know, the rumour mill has it that that Ed Smith has kind of paid for his job with because of the, the fiasco of, over bubbles and, and, you know, players not being happy about being rested here, players being unhappy about not having enough, re- you know, all of those things that have had to have come into play over the last 12 months that nobody else has really ever had to deal with before. Um, and and his general... would have been signed off by Giles as well. Yes, right? exactly. His, and his, his, his kind boss. of general unpopularity. Again, this is another another issue for me. Selectors generally are unpopular with players, right? Because they have to leave them out. And, you know, so they are. And so the selectors, as far as I'm concerned, and the way that Australia have done it or did it so well during my time as a player was that they were separate. They were kept away from the day-to-day um, hubbub of dressing rooms and all that kind of thing. Not your place. My job, I send you the piece of paper. These are the players. You deal with it from there on in. No problem. Ed Smith tried to tried to be tried to play it too many ways and tried to get a little bit too close. It was too too often seen in dressing rooms, too often seen around the players. No, don't do that. 
Now you've got now the bloke who's actually there could should could and should be a confidant for the players in their in their coach and as their manager and as their as their um, their mentor in many ways now is responsible for hiring and firing them as well. Now there becomes for me that becomes a barrier of trust between myself as a player. Am I going to go up and be as open about my feelings or my problems or my you know my issues with a certain type of bowler with the coach who's supposed to be there to help me if I know that he's also the guy that could drop me if if I'm having a shocker? Too it's too much. Um, I, you know, look, and and I I, I take it I, I might be talking out of turn. I've not read up on what what the role entirely entails, but for me, if you're chief, if you're head selector, that all of those things apply, all of them. Um, and it's very difficult to get around and away from that. Yeah, I think that's bang on. Um, I don't have much more to say other than what I've heard. Morgan and Root were both fully behind it. Um, Sorry, we, behind the decision. Behind the decision, yeah. Now, that may well be a consequence of communication issues, yeah. uh, which is, again, something that swirls around the rumour mill a little bit. Uh, if that is, if it is a reflection of Ed Smith's um, otherness as a character, then I think that's pretty, pretty limp, I have to say. Uh, I think I think English cricket's brains trust at the top um, is is a is a less imaginative place for Ed Smith's removal. I think all the reasons why he was lauded when he came in in 2018, independent thinker, uh, an outlying intellect, if you like, someone who's prepared to make tricky decisions and unusual decisions, uh, and very much on the kind of the cusp of the data driven revolution that's that's driving cricket analysis and so on and so on he was very much there in the heart of that um if it's been removed because he puts a few backs up and because the uh the ecosystem at the top of the top of the the decision makers is, is slightly affected by having somebody like ed smith a character like ed smith there then i think that's that's lamentable i'm not saying that is definitely the case it's hard to know really it's hard to know but i think what it does show is that at the very least root and morgan uh with Silverwood as a kind of almost as a, as a lieutenant, really. You know, so, I mean, you imagine the, the atmosphere in the one-day team. Is, I, do, I doubt Silverwood's ever walked in there and said, right, this is how we're going to do it. I think he is a kind of loyal uh, right-hand man to Morgan. And I think Root increasingly wants his team and he wants his identity stamped on that team. And perhaps there was a sense of death by committee at the top uh, and too many ideas garbling the, the you know, the... The, the clarity of thought that maybe there are. Oh, but all of that, all of that may well be the case. But there's no reason to, to, to lose. There's no reason to lose the role. It might be the reason to lose the man. I mean, you know, I have no, I have no feeling about about whether he was the right guy or the wrong guy. In the end, you know, the the, the results in terms of Test match cricket are kind of the ones that to be to be hired and fired over. And, yeah, and potentially, sure. you've got no, you haven't got any argument if, that, if that's I, the way I, you I, want to fight. But I don't understand why 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 a lack of a lack of trust or a lack of enjoyment of the way that Ed Smith goes about things is reason not to have a role of head select, chief of selectors anymore. I, I guess they would say James Taylor's been moved up to now become head scout. Uh, Looks and, good in the uniform, ba-boom. Yeah, lovely. And, um, and, and, and Mobo Bat is now, over, as Joe says, he's overseeing the whole, uh, the dissemination of, of information regarding players at county level as well as obviously under-19s and lower and lower. ECB cost-cutting has also been mentioned. <laughs> this is it. This is it. This is another element of it. And I think Ed Smith was probably the most dispensable and probably unfairly, as Butch alluded to earlier, he beca it became his policy, the rest and rotation bubble thing. Uh, and it wasn't. I mean, he was tasked with overseeing it and, organ and orchestrating it. 
But this would have been a committee decision to go down that road. And crucially, Giles is his boss and Giles would have signed off on the policy. It wouldn't have gone ahead just because Ed Smith suggested it. So I think it, I think he has carried the can for that up to a point at least. Um, and it's yeah, it's it's a it's it's a, a multi-layered story this one I suppose. But I can't help feeling that English cricket is a slightly less imaginative place for his his absence in it. Joe Smith was quite a divisive figure at times, particularly among England supporters. How how do you think his time as national selector will be remembered? I think I I think he did a better job than what I see people say on cricket Twitter I don't think people like him I think people think he's too clever by half and a lot that turns a lot of people off um, personally from working in the media I thought he explained his selections much better than anyone has previously before he was very open possibly too open at times saying David Milan didn't have the game to play home test matches for instance was a slightly odd thing to say I thought but, you know we we appreciate that honesty uh, I think you, you're always going to have picks that you think that you look back on and think a bit odd um I think largely he got them right. I think Butler was a was a great pick. Um, I think some of the more odd ones, even like Joe Denley, I personally think that was a decent stopgap that England's results picked up during that time. Um, picked Ollie Pope that first summer, didn't he? Yeah. And, I and mean, it didn't take a genius to see he was a good player, admittedly, but it did take some balls to bring through. He's really given youth... Sam Curran as well. As really given youth a chance. I think it should be remembered uh, positively, whether it is or not, I'm not sure. Well, so the problem, a lot of people don't necessarily Won a know. World Cup, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. yeah. But the thing, I don't think he gets credit for the things that go well. So that is seen as Owen Morgan's victory, which is probably fair enough on in, in, in large part. But then a lot of times he's criticised for the 11 that gets put on the park, which is not his responsibility. So I, I feel like he, he, he well, didn't well, really... I mean, but that doesn't that just back up what I'm, what, what I'm talking about yeah. here? The, the 11 that goes on the park is not only... It, 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 well, Chris Silverwood's job is now not only to pick the 15, it's also his responsibility for the 11 as well. You know, it's kind of like... This, <laughs> want it. I don't want it. I mean, that's ridiculous. Um, there you go. But yeah, that's, I, that's how it is. I, I thought that he, he was obviously very good at picking talent. Like everyone just kind of looks at Sam Curry now is like obviously going to pick Sam Curry. It was not an obvious pick um, back in 2018 when he played. I thought Smith wasn't particularly pragmatic with selection sometimes in terms of squad building. So uh, the West Indies tour in 2019, England dropped Keaton Jennings and had to pick him again because they just didn't pick enough batsmen in the squad. Um, his initial 15-man well, I mean, squad... There was, the- there was the whole thing about leaving out Stuart Broad in Barbados. And again, that landed at, at, at Ed Smith's door mm. when they picked Sam Curry instead of instead of broad. I mean, which is anybody that's been anywhere near can overall knows that's just the stupidest thing you've ever heard, yeah. but it happened. And that landed at his door. Again, yeah. I don't know who's 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 cool that was eventually, but Broadie never forgave him for that. Yeah, and then in then for the twenty nineteen World Cup squad, he initially picked Joe Denley in the fifteen man squad, which was just a weird decision because he was essentially the only backup spinner in the squad and eventually went back on that and picked Liam Dawson. Morgan won the day on that one, didn't he? Pretty clearly. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think while there are a lot of his picks, I think um, he definitely deserves a lot of credit for. Um, I think there were times where he wasn't that pragmatic. Um, for example, I think the 2019-20 winter, they probably should have taken another spare batsman to New Zealand, South Africa. Um, but they, in the in the grand scheme of things, there's a reasonably minor point. He, he, he dropped think, James Vince a bit early. Yeah. <laughs> my liking. I did actually yeah. hear... All right, don't start. Okay. I did hear from someone who's, you know, high up in the funny little inner world of English cricket. And he did say that, as long as Ed Smith's in charge of selection, James Vince isn't going to play another Test match for England. Um, 
you know, if he strums another few hundreds in the next couple of weeks, we might see if that's actually true or not. Yeah. Well, let's go back to the county game um, in the really? last week or so. Um, Essex lost. They don't normally do that. Uh, no. Great, great win for, for Warwickshire. 21-year-old opening batsman Rob Yates scored an unbeaten fourth innings 100 there. Um, Middlesex beat Surrey in the London derby at Lords. as an amazing third and final day of that game. Surrey started it 105 for three with... Burns and folks at the crease, just a few bar- runs behind Middlesex. 90 minutes later, there were 130 all out, and Middlesex ended up winning by 10 wickets. Um, a few other notable performances from the week. Uh, Ricardo Vasconcelos. Not, not in my who, day. <laughs> Vasconcelos, who, uh, who Butch, you picked out a couple of weeks ago. So he's a South African-born young North Hans batsman with a Portuguese passport. Um, who, Phil, you spoke to yesterday. Yes, I did, yeah. Um, he scored 185 not out as North Ants chased 355 in 72 overs on the final day against Glamorgan. Stat for you. Highest fourth inning score by a North Ants batsman ever. Wow. Beating Wayne Larkins. Boom. That's from Benedict, by the way. I can't really take <laughs> nice. credit. But. Nice. Um, that is a good stat. Um, Don Best took a fourth inning six for, 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 for Yorkshire in their win over Sussex. Um, there's an extraordinary open interview with Bess on his mental mm. health struggles on the Headstrong podcast I'd highly recommend the bit from 40 minutes onwards is just I've, yeah I've, I've never really heard a cricketer speak that openly before um, Matt Parkinson got a seventher for Lanx against Kent he sent down more than 50 overs in the Kent second innings um, which is more than 8% of all deliveries he's ever bowled in first class cricket in one <laughs> innings in um, yeah uh, he now averages uh, 23.58 with a ball in first class cricket um, get him in uh, and Gloucestershire's 10th wicket pair of Dom Goodman and Josh Shaw batted unbeaten for over 17 overs to help Gloucestershire avoid defeat against Hampshire, a result that could prove pretty crucial at the end of the group phase. Butch, what's your mm. moment of the week? My moment of the week is I got to spend um, I got to spend two and a half to three hours in the company of uh, Christopher Claremont Lewis up, up in Nottinghamshire at the beginning of the week. Um, doing a doing a, a, a bit of a, a documentary about, well, you'll find out eventually. But um, uh, engaging, funny, um, somebody that you couldn't feel less sorry for yourself than uh, than, than he does. Um, he was, uh, I know, I loved playing with him um, back in the back in the day, back in the nineties when he and he popped in here at the, at the Oval for a, a couple of seasons. Um, and it's just, it, well, whenever it comes out, whenever the, the piece comes out, it'll be on, on Sky. It's, it's it, it, very, very engaging. He's very engaging um, and brutally honest. So that, that was my moment of the week. Brilliant. Absolutely superb. Lovely. Phil, what's yours? Um, m- mine actually, uh, it was last night when I read the final uh, manuscript of Felix White's upcoming memoir. Now, Felix White, as everyone knows, uh, former Maccabees guitarist, turned occasional cricket writer, turned podcast phenomenon, one third of the tailenders nonsense. If you fancy a bit of that, it's up to you. <laughs> <laughs> if you like that sort of thing. <laughs> you know I don't mean that, Felix. Anyway, um, I've, been, I've helped him, well, I've assisted a bit here and there. I've done some proofreading and some some conversations with him over the last few months and the, and he's pulled this this memoir together. It's called It's Only Summer. It's always summer somewhere. Um, and it's a it's a tale it's a it's a real good ripping yarn, but it's it dra- drags in these sort of different strands of obviously his cricket obsession, his musical awakening, and becoming an almost accidental pop star. And it's interlaced as well with stories of his family as well. And he lost his mother as a teenager as well. So it's a it's a 
incredibly moving sort of meditation on grief and loss as well. But it's all shot through with his sort of lovability. And you've met him, Mark, as well. He's interviewed yeah, yeah, you a couple him. of yeah, times. Yeah. And obviously, Joe knows him very well as well. He's, he's write, written for Wisdom many times in the past and so on. And, and, and it, it is a... <sighs> It could easily fall into sort of mawkishness and sentimentality, but he's so damn lovable and inspired by the miracles, the everyday miracles around us, you know. And 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 it it will be readable for fans of cricket. It'll be readable for fans of guitar-based British bands. It'll be readable for fans of the human condition and the human spirit, you know. And um. It really is a terrific thing, and I'm not um, maybe I'm biased, but I read it all last night. Um, uh, I read the bits that I hadn't subbed a little bit closer than the bits that I had, but it's uh, it's a really terrific thing, and um, available now I think to pre-order actually. So I think if you go on his Twitter, Felix White Twitter, whatever, you can pre-order a copy there, and I would genuinely recommend it. It's a, it's a terrific piece of work. Mm. I often think that when. Um when there's a famous person who's really nice, you kind of worry, are they actually really nice in real life? And I don't know Felix that well, but he is genuinely... Nauseatingly, he, he is, is so as nice, nice. As Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to break it to you. <laughs> um, there's another interesting bit of news this week that's been reported in Indian media, um, and it's that under-23 uncapped Indian players might be allowed to play in the 100. Um, Phil, what do, you, what do you make of that? Um, we were talking about this just before the show, and we we're trying to work out actually who it would include if it were to be say this upcoming year yeah. and this is not this is for the next following year Padakal the the opener at RCB who's, who's putting up trees every day he would qualify providing um, he doesn't play for the next few months yeah. um, um, Bishnoi as well at Punjab he'd yeah. probably get a go yeah Azishan um, Kishan played yeah he's played he's, he's played. just played yeah. so this I guess is part of the issue you know that you can make some good plans and identify some talent but if it's a great it, idea in theory, but it might not yeah, be many players in practice. What it, what it does show, I think, is uh, a recognition that buy-in from the BCCI up to a point therefore floods into the the Indian cricket culture uh, as a whole. And from what you hear anecdotally about how much coverage there, how much of a following there is, say, for just Vihari's attempts at scoring a few first drop for Warwickshire, the numbers are through the roof across British media for anything that Vihari does, who is a kind of, you know, underwhelming-ish number five accumulator at Test Match Little. Good player, don't get me wrong, but he's not he's not like a big icon name necessarily, and yet they all are. I That iconic thing is conferred upon you, I think, if you crack it in Indian cricket. Um, Shreyas Iyer as well, of course, playing for Lancashire this, this summer in the 50-over stuff. So I think the, the ECB will be bending over backwards to try and facilitate this. And I understand why, because if you can break in even even on the surface of Indian cricket, then suddenly it becomes a different proposition and it becomes a far more commercialising option as well. And although it's grubby stuff, it's significant because whatever your feelings are about the 100, I mean, you'd, you'd, be, a, you'd be an odd person to want to see it collapse and be humiliated within a couple of years of its of its birth. So... A little bit of buy-in from the, from the Indian cricket would be very, very useful. So I can understand why the ECB are trying to do this. So you say commercialisation there. So you look at the overseas players coming over for the hundreds. They're really good players. They are. They're pretty much the best in the world. So we're we thinking there might be a possibility that actually these hundred sides think, well, we're better off taking an under-23 Indian player who's perhaps not as good as the player we would have picked because we'll have more cut through in India. 
I mean, that's it's a bit bit bleak, but maybe <laughs> well, that is just the world. Put, maybe. I mean, look, I, 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 good point. All of all of this, all of this ignores the home market, doesn't it? That's the. And whilst I can more than anybody understand just how important it is to make sure that you get commercial buy-in from the biggest and, and most powerful um, block, the 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 raison d'être of the hundred is to get buy-in here, is to put bums on seats here, is to turn um, cricket, which is still a South summer sport, but it's still a minority sport really, into something that is no longer a minority sport, and having under twenty-three. Indian players over. I don't know how much that excites the sort of the the Indian diaspora over here, because they don't know who they don't know them yet. It might well excite them commercially over in India, but it certainly isn't going to do anything to turn Joe Bloggs from a, a non cricket watcher into a cricket watcher. Well, it comes back so, to that Colin Graves thing saying we've heard there's interest in India, which was flatly denied in India, as yeah. though this is further justification that this is a good thing because yeah. if India like it. It must be a good thing. Yeah, I mean, listen, if it, if India liked it to the extent where they were where they were willing to have Rishabh Pant come over and be an overseas player, then you go, well, well absolutely. There's, there's irrefutable evidence that this is a good idea, or you know, because you know, I, I, I've, it's a story I've told once or twice, and stop me if I've done it on on the pod before, but I, I will never ever forget the Help for Heroes game here at the Oval, one uh, bleak September 2015-16, I think it was. Um, Tuesday of the game, which is happening on a Thursday, 4,000, 4,500 tickets have been sold. News that, that uh, MS Dhoni was, was playing broke on the Tuesday evening. On Thursday, there are 24,000 people here in a game which was a beer match. You know, so that makes a difference. So there's, I am, um, you get that done, no problem. Under 23 uncapped players. But does Shiva and have the same reach as brilliant the for Brilliant for, for, for the Indian cricketers. You, yeah. know, you get that chance to come over and play in different conditions. You know, in, the, in exactly the same ways that it's a good thing for our young players to get a chance to play in the IPL. But it doesn't really help out. It doesn't really help. It doesn't help. It, it may not cause more, more than a ripple if that over here. But if you if you draw the analogy, say with someone like Jude Bellingham, the footballer, right now, you know, British football fans are going to watch Dortmund play because they've got two young, brilliant English English footballers, and the same I, I sense would apply yeah, with this. It's a, it's a good, it's point. good comparison. You yeah. know that if you are an Indian cricket fanatic, then you are among many, and there's nothing more exciting than a young player in sport, and if you. Padakal is the perfect example because he's as good a player as, as there is at the moment or certainly as, as effective a player as there is at the moment. You'd follow him all around the world and you, you would tune into that no-mark game between London Spirit and whoever it might be because you'd get a chance to see your boy play. Um, so it might, it might be window dressing in the end, I don't know. But yeah, and I, I, I kind I of don't... thinking that there is some significance and even if it's just a sort of a first point, uh, which may be a relationship can develop yeah. from there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a beginning, isn't it? Potentially, and I don't disagree with anything you've said. That's not that's not the point I'm making. The point I'm making is is that here, yeah, sure, it kind of doesn't make any. You know, the 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 bloke on the street who who might be thinking about coming to watch London Spirit or whatever does not is, doesn't care because because frankly they don't know anything about cricket in the first place. That's the entire <laughs> point. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, let's let's move just, let's just move off there. On that, come come the first game here over Invincibles um, 90% of the people in the ground will be cricket fans right yeah you, think? you would yeah. imagine so yeah 
because because the you know the game the game is still the game. Yeah. You know, which is either an argument for the hundred or or an argument against, <laughs> isn't it? You know, the, it's still it's yeah. still bat and ball. It's still people bowling. Still people Precisely. fielding. Still people wearing pads and helmets and stuff. That hasn't changed. Yeah. And my, my um, suspicion. And, and people have ignored that or loved that all their all of their lives and. This is it. No amount of crisp packets is going to change that, you yeah, would imagine. Yeah. And also, no, no amount of opposition to it from a sort of philosophical perspective is going to stop people wanting to watch a game of cricket in the end. Because if, you if you're addicted to there, it, there you are. nothing you can do I'm about sure, it. Like I said, it's but an anyway, argument. We might mention this down the line. I'm sure we're going to talk about this <laughs> in quite a lot of detail as the summer progresses. Um, on to the IPL. Um, across the IPL, we've partnered with Who Knows Wins, a social sports game where mates, families and colleagues can pit their wits against each other for real money and bragging rights. Um, in week three this week, Ben is currently leading out of our pack. Is he? Uh, yeah, he is, yeah. Less said about you two, the better. I'm doing terribly. Um, so you know my you're, two you're, predictions you're last week, Mark? Both of them bummed out completely. Yeah, you're, you're, Thrashings as you're, well. You're, I you were one... safe with Mumbai Indian as well, <laughs> didn't you? <But. laughs> you're, you're both one from six so far this week. Oh um, week four... It shows what a great tournament it is. Yes, it? yes it does. <laughs> week four of the IPL by Wiz and League begins on Friday. All you need to do is pick the winner in the games from Friday through to the following Thursday. Um, I'm going to give the picks this week after what you guys have done in the recent weeks. Um, in that first game, I've gone for RCB to beat Punjab. Um, RCB look very good. Punjab don't. Um, Brilliant. And um, <laughs> well, well done. Got a razor sharp nose. Thought we'd keep it simple, really simple this stuck week. His neck on the um, to take part in the league, download the Who Knows Wins app in the App Store and head to the cricket section for your chance to win the pot this week. Please gamble responsibly and remember that the bigger the more people enter, the bigger the pot. Um, before we get into the nitty gritty of the action from the IPL, how, how do you guys feel about the, the tournament going ahead? Um, wherever you are, I'm sure you've seen the news about the current COVID-19 situation in India, over 300,000 reported cases a day, pleas for oxygen supplies all over social media. Um, our thoughts are obviously with everyone in India at the moment. A lot of players have pulled out predominantly overseas, but Ravi Chandra and Ashwin too. Um, Joe, what, what, what do you think? How, how do you feel about the tournament going on? Um, my view is it's not really for us sitting in London to judge, A, whether it should, the show must go on, or B, that it's disgraceful that it's happening. I, I, it's very different in lots of ways, but it reminded me of the 2008 England tour to India, which I travelled out to a few days after the Mumbai terror attacks, as England were actually leaving whilst they were debating whether they'd go back. Uh, and I remember reading, whilst in India, a few columns from English writers. One of them was was boycott, saying this tour should not go ahead. It's a disgrace. It's in, it's insensitive. It's too raw. And I can could understand why you might think that from England. But being in India at that time and chatting to people in coffee shops or tuk-tuk drivers or reading the local press, it was so clear that India wanted this tour to happen and how important it was, partly because of what had happened. Um, now look this is very different and I'm not saying that is what India feels because the fact is I'm not in India this time so I would be very careful about saying this tournament shouldn't go ahead because the situa situation is so bleak because if the majority of Indians want it to take place then then it should that said it's clearly jarring it is absolutely <laughs> that is going on but that doesn't mean it shouldn't be happening I don't think it occurred to me that um, you might think it grotesque or you might think you know it, it's a it's it's a bit of relief um in an otherwise particularly bleak uh landscape my thought actually was a little bit around the players and that if the situation re oxygen hospital beds icus or whatever is as bad as as we are hearing it is sounds horrific what happens if one of these guys if they get a 
a breach in a bubble and it affects one of the teams and they have nowhere to, to take them. You know, if you were there as a player, whether you're Indian or overseas, it kind of doesn't matter, does it? You, it doesn't make any difference. If there's no help, if there is no, if, if the capacity for the, for the health service to take care of you is gone, it doesn't matter who you are. So it, if you're there, you'd be thinking about very, very seriously about trying to hot foot it out there as fast as you could. And then, of course, the competition can't go ahead anyway. No players, no no uh no uh, no competition i i think that if if things continue in, in the vein that they're going when they're breaking records literally every day aren't they that they're just going to have to pull it pull it I, I don't see whether you think it's the right or wrong thing i think they're going to have to pull it at some point i don't think it can just continue like nothing's going on and just from the position of the overseas players um and talking parochially uh, english players in particular I've been talking a bit to Chris Wokes, who's out there with Delhi Capitals, and um, he's gone quiet last few days. And he, it's not like him, you know. He's a very sort of genial bloke. He'll always get back to you. And we'd planned to do an interview this week, and I've heard nothing in the last few days. It must be deeply unsettling to be in that bubble, as Butch alludes to. And I would be very surprised if there aren't conversations taking place right here and now regarding the imminent return of. England players and I would assume something similar would be discussed among boards and agents and player representatives and the players as well of course uh, for other nations overseas players as well um, the more I read and the more I watch this sort of simulation of fun and jollity the harder I find uh, it to watch and to square and I can understand the point about potential compliance you know, but people are staying in and they need something to watch and they need something to take their mind off things. I get that. I get that. And it's undoubtedly a very influential movement culturally. Uh, but from the player's perspective in particular, it must just be hellish out there at the moment. Um, did we mention Pat Cummins? Sorry, in your earlier... No, no, we haven't. Pat yeah. Cummins, 50 grand, I think. $50,000 um, committed to to help the the, the relief... Yeah. Pot in Hasn't effect. Josh, Josh Butler's done something as similar as well. Ryan I think. Ben Stokes, yeah. I think, as well. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. And Brett Lee now as well, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, that's far more than window dressing. You know, that comes from a very real place, I think. And and it does show that these players do have an enormous voice and significant influence. Uh, yeah, and they're, see, they're not, they're not blind to it either. I mean, it's not as though, you know, and it gets sports... Men and women get charged with this all of the time. That there's kind of you know there's this blinkeredness that goes. I suppose on the one I'm thinking of kind of like the the Australian Open and the tennis players and putting up the videos of how hard their lives were and whatever. You know, yes, there are still <laughs> there, there is there is blinkeredness that goes on in the sporting professional sporting world. But I think you know, particularly in team sports, um, uh, players are far more aware of what goes on outside of their own uh, bubbles. The entirely uh, significant word than people would give them credit for. Um, yeah, watch this space. I'd, I'd be unbelievably surprised if they got through to the end on this. Joe, you've been in isolation for, for a week, so you've ended up watching quite a lot of the IPL. Ten days, actually. Ten yes. days, ten, ten days. days. Well done, well Thank done, by you. the way. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was a, a fully immersive experience. Yeah. I didn't even really like the IPL a few years ago, and for a while it became my only thing to get up for. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> you sent me a WhatsApp message that said, I've, I've watched a lot of the IPL. <laughs> yeah. Since um, I've come out, when I hear a siren in the street, I just assume <laughs> someone's bowling a no ball. It's like, it's very hard to experience. Um, your, your moment of the week is from the IPL and it involves an English player. Yeah, it was the, the Sunday Sunrisers versus Daddy Capitals, um, the first super over of this year's IPL. 
Delhi Capital got one five nine. Sunrisers kind of scraped there. Kane Williamson just got them to the to the well one b- below their target. Uh, came to the Super Over. I think everyone was expecting Johnny Bairstow to walk out as one of the openers in the Super Over for Sunrisers, uh, and he looked as baffled as everyone else to be sitting Brilliant on the image. Brilliant sitting image. on the sidelines. They went with Warner and Williamson as their two. Uh, Williamson looked knackered after his innings. Warner hasn't been hitting the mud at all. It was a bizarre choice. Bairstow should have been the first pick, and then you choose between those two as your as your second pick. In the end, they got seven runs from the Super Over. Would have been eight, but for for one short, which I think was Warner one one short. Uh, and then Delhi Capitals got there off the off the last delivery. It looked like there might be a second Super Over for a, for a second there, but it just summarizes a bit of a mess there. I don't know how they've ended up with such a poor batch of Indian players. They really rely on their overseas players. Bairstow's having a brilliant IPL, but in a in a not very good team. Uh, and then Warner was kind of criticising the team selection in the post-match uh, interview, when no one's quite sure who the selection team is. So it just it feels a bit a bit messy. And they're one of a a couple of teams in this IPL who just don't look like they've got themselves sorted at all. I, I, I'd be surprised if the four who are leading at the moment changes before the end of it if we get to the end of it yeah the that super the end of that super over um nearly exposed very controversial uh loophole in the law which is if an umpire gives somebody out lbw um and they run a leg by um if that's reviewed and overturned the leg by doesn't count because the ball's dead when the umpire gives the decision it's, yeah. always, it's always been a, an issue it's, for it's, me that it's, always it's going to happen it's going to happen in a really big and game and you're right it could, yeah it could easily and have decided that game exactly and the the, the the way around the reason why you have that law probably is that uh maybe once the once the umpire puts his finger up fielders understandably don't uh, run in as hard, whatever. But I think umpires just should not give the LBW until the ball's dead. That's the obvious way around it. Um, football kind of had to grapple with that in the last year or so with VAR, with linesmen raising their flags later and later. I, I just think cricket should just well, do the you same. See the, the other the other side of that is if the ball if it comes off off a pad or something and goes down for four leg mm. buys, if yeah. no fielder is involved, then mm. what? Then what? You know it's exactly I mean? the same. I mean, it's just uh, they just need to change the laws, basically. Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah it's, um, it's a real. We know it's, it's going to come it's up. A bad one. Exactly. It's a bad yeah, one. Exactly. It's a bad one. And and the other bad one is why would you have a New Zealander in the Super Over? I mean, just. That <laughs> um, a couple other things from the IPL. CSK are quite good again after not qualifying for the playoffs last year. Um, there's a really good piece from Crick Viz's Pat Noon on the on the Wisdom website. Um, he made a really interesting point about Moeen actually. Although he's not played every game, he said. Um, it's one of the first times in a long time that a team has built themselves around what Moeen is very good at rather than the other way around. Uh, Moeen's been coming in um, as what Pat described as a deluxe pinch hitter at number three, given freedom to biff it from ball one. Um, and he's been really important in their revival, which is a really good piece. I'd, I would recommend it. Um, I, I was going to say with Bairstow as well, Bairstow and then you've got Sam Curran doing pretty well and Moeen doing pretty well at CSK. Aside from that, the English players are having a bit of a stinker, either... They've come home in the case of Livingston or they're just not going to play in the case of Roy. Um, and then Tom Curran's had a bit of a stink when he has played. Chris Wokes was doing well at Delhi Capitals, but now it looks like he's not going to get mm. in that side because they've got really strong overseas players and yeah. Norkia can't even get a game. Chris so it, Jordan it looks... hasn't, hasn't put his boots on yet either. No, well, he played the last game, did okay, but he hadn't played up until yeah. then. Uh, Milan looks like he's not going to get a game. Uh, Jason Roy's out there as well, right? Yeah, yeah he's, he's sitting got, on the bench. He's not played a book. He's not played. Overseas players are we, really yeah. good. So we called not... this 
yeah four shows ago and that that was what was going to happen they interviewed yeah. him a couple of games ago on the side of the pitch and I think the, the question was so Jason you enjoying yourself out there in his face definitely no. said no. <laughs> <laughs> no I'm not this is happening to me yeah. again yeah, um, yeah and, and Butler's Butler's weirdly out of Nick as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, not going great there. Um, just a couple of other highlights from the last week. Uh, Jadeja's 37 run over. That was fun. Hit 19 off the first two with the help of a no ball. Um, and then Phil, you mentioned Padakal earlier. He scored a brilliant 100. Um, he's great to he, watch. He's a brilliant player. So to also watch. on Jadeja, uh, I think we've got to mention that kid. Jadeja also took, what, three, three for, for 13 off his four. And a run out. Yeah. I don't think anyone yeah, could have had such an influence <laughs> yeah. on a game in, in about 50 balls. He yeah. is the daddy, and I yeah. love him. I absolutely <laughs> love him. Um, from the you know from the from the uh, the blazing sword celebration to to just about everything really, I'd have hated to have batted against him as well. Great beard, he's the daddy. Let's move on to um, England's home series to New- against New Zealand in 1999. Oh. Um, so we're we're talking about it. We're gonna look we're gonna look back at the 2015 <laughs> series as well later on because New Zealand are coming over later. Uh, this year in about a month's time so a uh, bit of background on the series um, Butch is obviously uh, a major part in it the series took place a few weeks after the 99 World Cup which took place in England where England didn't make it past the group stages uh, England had just appointed Nasser Hussain as their captain and Duncan Fletcher as their coach though Fletcher didn't take charge until after the series England got off to a really good start actually they won the first test by seven wickets after being bowled out for 126 in the first innings Caddick took a cheap five for England chased 208 in the fourth innings. A young Alex Tudor scored 99 as night watchman. New Zealand won the second test during which Hussain broke his finger. Then in the third test, which was drawn, that was captained by Butch, actually. Um, and Butch was then dropped from the team for the, for the fourth test. Got which love England lost in the 90s, 83 runs at the Oval. And that result famously took England to the bottom of the world test rankings. Um, we're not going to go through it test by test necessarily. Um, for that. Butch, um, what are your overall memories from that series, of that series? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, 99. So, NASA's first series as captain. You've got Atherton and Stewart, recent captains, still very much part of, of the team. Um, we don't have a coach, as you rightly said. Um, and uh, there are all kinds of, of issues, really. I mean... If you look at some of the people that played in that um, in that series, you mentioned Alex Tudor, Stuart Atherton, Thorpe, Hick, Ramprakash, uh, myself, Caddick, Headley. I mean, that's that's a good sounding team, right? Tufnell, such. Um, we also had Aftab Habib and, and Chris Reed make debuts in that series as well. Darren Maddy made his debut. Darren as well. Maddy played in the last the t- test match. Ronnie Arani played a bit part in and out here and there. I mean, and Giddens debut as well. Right, good cricketers, all. You know, good cricketers, um, and yet we were about as far away from a, from a cricket team as you could possibly imagine. Um. You know the win in the first in the first Test match. What did you say we got bowled, bowled out of 120 or something? I mean, I remember the pitches were kind of spicy for some reason in that in, throughout, particularly the first two Edgbaston and Lords. Um, we Tudes won us the game at, at Edgbaston famously, and then we got absolutely hammered at, at Lords on an, on another sort of green top and played really really badly. Um, and New Zealand were were there was a sort of feeling that it was only New Zealand. And I think the New Zealand have suffered through that forever, you know, wherever they've sort of been, the people have always taken them slightly lightly. And, and I think that there was a sort of an arrogance about English cricket 
for what reason, I have no idea. Um, and an arrogance about maybe the, the players and the teams um, that kind of that, that, that led us to be so much less than the sum of our parts. Um, you know, and by the end, you know, so I, as you mentioned, I, I captained the, the third test match at Old Trafford. Nasser broke a finger at Laws, didn't bat in the second innings. Um, Thorpey took over from him on the field there. Now, between the end of that test match, us losing, and um, the, the beginning of the third one, it would have been decided by, it would have been David Graveney and, and Graham Gooch, who was kind of caretaker coach at the time, that to give me the captaincy in that, in that test match. Did you now, expect it? I didn't, no, I didn't expect it. I mean, it had been talked about. I'd, I'd captained Surrey in, the, in the, the first, however, months, two and a half months of the season. In the absence of Stuart Thorpe, Hollyoak, who was uh, Adam, who was the, the club captain, um, Sacklane, etc., all on World Cup duty, and we were sort of way out in front in the championship, and got got some good raps for my captaincy or whatever. But still, I'm, if you look down the list of who was playing, so you have got the two former England captains, Stuart and Atherton, both of whom said no, thank you very much. Graham Thorpe, who'd taken over, who was sort of de facto vice captain, they didn't ask him, so he had the right hump, proper, properly had the hump. Um, you've got, you know, other players like Hick, you know, all of these guys are so much more my, my senior in the side and, and they make me captain for the third one. So I'm not, I'm not the pop, most popular bloke in the dressing room coming from Old Trafford. No, no, not my fault, but I don't, and I don't think that it was directed at me, but I think it was directed at the general, general situation that how the hell does this happen? What was it like, Captain Nick, knowing that that was the situation and knowing that was the well, kind of dynamic? Well, I mean, I, I, I remember I kind of had a vibe. I didn't know, but I had a vibe that kind of all was not, not particularly well. I remember speaking on the night before the, the, the first game, sort of saying, you know, we, as, a, as a group of men um, and players, you know, we go out there and play football in the warm-ups and we're all trying to kick each other's heads in. You know, there is a, there is a sort of, you know, a, a competitiveness there that, we need to we need to bring with us when we go out and play on the on the field. You know, you put aside whatever your personal feelings are about whatever the situation might be. And I was alluding to the fact that I, it was me as captain. And we go out there and we and we and we represent England and, and play with that exact same ferocity. And we you know park the other stuff until it's done. Anyway, it didn't happen. But the, 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 my abiding memory of, of being of captain of the team was 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 this. And this to me summed up English cricket at the time. We had we'd picked a, a, a thirteen or twelve or whatever it was on the proviso that Matt, that Old Trafford had spun, okay, and that it was bare. There wasn't going to be very much grass on it, so that the eleven or the the eleven that I was left with looked as though we were going to have four bowlers in it, and it was going to be such Tufnell, the two spinners, who were going to wreak havoc on these Bunsens at Old Trafford, and Headley and Caddick, two fantastic fast bowlers, but there were only two of them, and I I flagged this up the day before or two days before the test match I said look Yorkshire are playing up the road we're at Old Trafford reverse swings here why don't we get Craig White out of the first class game bring him down put him in the squad so that we've got an option to play an extra seam bowler batting's not going to suffer a great deal and we'll have a balanced attack and I was told point blank under no circumstances you're just here to flip the coin that's it you know that's not going to happen so and, and I'm thinking I know what's ha- I know what's going to happen here. I wake up the next day, pull back the curtain. Sure enough, the clouds are this high, um, and I'm like, well, crikey! If I win the toss, can I bowl first with two seamers? I'm thinking I don't think I can. <laughs> I don't think I can. So lo and behold, walk out in my blazer. I'm a very proud moment. Me and, uh, and Steve Fleming, I win the toss, 
And I'd sort of rather sheepishly say, we're going to have a bath, thinking, <laughs> oh, God, please, please let the sun come out and everything fine. And of course, Dion Nash bowled us out of 150. <sighs> New Zealand got 560 and it rained. And that was it, unbeaten as captain. I then did the press conference at the end of the at the end of the match, and the and the protocol is we, we've all done them not as captains but as players. You know, you, your your press man takes you down to to go and see the guys in the library there at Old Trafford, and I waited. Nobody came and collected me, so I wandered down there on my own, sat down in the chair on my own. All the press boys walked over, put their their dictaphones on the table, and just started the interview. I'm kind of looking around, thinking, oh, okay, so this is this is how it's going to be. And was asked various questions. I said, well, look, you know, I hadn't scored any runs. I got 30 or something in the first test at Edgbaston. And that ran me out. And then that was the last, the last runs I scored in that, in that series. I, and they said, you know, well, are there going to be changes? Last test match, you know, da, 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 da. this was a dismal performance. And I said, well, look, nobody, nobody sort of has a, a divine right to be picked in the side, whether, you, you know, whether you've been captured or not. I was prescient because they left me out for the last one. <laughs> um, and we went on to lose, um, you know, having given Darren Maddy a debut. He played, he opened the batting instead of me, I think. Changed the team, had the probably the longest tail that, that, that an England cricket team has had since the uh, since the 1800s. I've got it in front of me: Caddick, Mullally, Tofton, and Giddens. And that's, right. and that's with Arani at seven. Yeah, he wasn't he wasn't Adam Gilchrist or yeah, uh, or, yeah. Uh, exactly. Chris Kens. Exactly, and, and it was dismal, absolutely dismal. I watched it at home. Um, on the TV, watching and listening to Nas get booed on the balcony here when the crowds were still allowed out on the on the um, on the outfield, and it was rock bottom. But I mean, you cannot you cannot make any argument that that moment for NASA was not the sort of catalyst behind how he would then go about doing things for the rest of his his time as captain. That was absolutely you know you could see his brain was going to explode. So he was so angry, um, and he knew they were right. Um, and 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 from there on in, things improved. This reputation that NASA's uh, maybe had at the time, but certainly embedded in recent years of him being, you know, dictatorial and so on. Is that your memory of him as a leader? NASA captained the team, captained the team very much from the point of view of being stood on that balcony and having people boo him. So it was very difficult, and I'm, I'm moving forward quite some way. It was very difficult for him once the team actually started to be able to take care of itself a little bit and didn't need the, the school masterly treatment. He, he, he found it quite difficult to kind of relax and allow us to play because, you know, the, the memory of that was so, was so strong. But that's the only criticism I'd, I'd have about the way he did things. With Nass, you could, you could tell him what he thought what you thought of him and he would tell you exactly what he thought of you and you could do that and you could do that in the most strong and you know hr worrying way possible but then it would be forgotten the day after and that was another thing that's the thing i've always respected about nas he would call you every name under the sun and be as as absolutely plain as to what he thought about what you'd done or why you'd done it or you know what what more he wanted but it wasn't something that would be held against you going forward if he if he backed you um I thought he was great. He was, he was exactly what we needed. Nobody else could have done what he did and pulled it off. Um, he was exactly the right man at the right time. That was, and that, that 1999-2000 defining period for the kind of modern history of the England team that central contracts came in the following year and England had that great win over the, the West Indies. Because you look at the team selection that series, those four debutants. So I took Aftab Habib, played two tests, never played again. Chris Reid played three tests, didn't play again for four years. 
he said himself he was nowhere near ready to play at that stage. Darren Maddy debuts, plays three tests in his career. Ed Giddens plays four. Irani comes to that final test. That's his last test and his third. How's anyone? I mean, how do you know if they're good? You, how, you can't possibly know if they're good enough. And, and how did selectors continue to... No, well, this well, is Graveney. He gets quite a lot of credit for the, for the next period of his selection. Yeah. But I mean, that, Gra- that's awful selection, right? No, and Grav would, would, would turn around and say, say so himself. But there was also an element of, particularly with, with um, Fletch waiting in the wings, there was a slight element, and I remember talking to Fletch about this, there was a slight element of, okay, because this was, if you, if you look, back, look back on what happened subsequently, this was a justification for what was to come next. It was, I'm gonna, we're going to pick these people whose numbers in county cricket say that they should play. So Aftab Habib was averaging 50 and, um, you know, Chris Reid, best keeper and batsman in, in the country, blah, blah, blah. Donnie Irani, brilliant all-rounder, okay. Okay, stick them in, put them in, and let's see if those numbers in county cricket, as good as they are, stack up to when it's hot. And so it was a little bit like, okay, this is what everyone's clamouring for. We'll let them have it, and we'll see if it makes things any better. It didn't make any any better, and Duncan then used that as, here is my justification for Vaughan, here is my justification for Tress Gothic, here is my justification for sticking with Caddick, who would get stick for not taking enough wickets in the first innings. I'm going with not what the numbers are telling me, not who's doing this on a re- weekly basis for Glamorgan or whatever it might be, or Surrey or whatever, whichever club. I'm doing this on the basis of what my judgment is in terms of a player's character allied with the, bil- the ability that they have. And therefore, the numbers, if you, you can throw numbers at me all week about Joe Bloggs making, making runs every week in county cricket, but I'm, that, that doesn't... That doesn't butter any parsnips as, as far as what I'm thinking in terms is needed for a, for a professional cricket at the highest level because you can't really query the final results of that it obviously worked but that is a flawed test I mean after he probably wasn't a test batsman but we don't know that he played two tests mm. Ronnie Hirani probably wasn't a test all-rounder but we still don't know that because he only played three tests it's a dicey game that, that- Fletcher would have played unquestionably, and especially to come in from the so-called outside. But but, but it's not that dicey when you're bottom of the world. No, I guess they're <laughs> yeah. they're, they're, they're your <laughs> when you're the worst. To, when you are to, the worst in the world, you can you can pretty little, much little. and as long and as long as it pays off, and it and you could argue that it did. The South Africa trip was was very very tough for all kinds of reasons for me for me um, in my life but also for English cricket. But nobody expected us to go down there and beat Donald and Pollock and Cullen and, and those boys in their own backyard. It was a freebie. It I, was a freebie. Just when I was going back to the start of that series, the I think everyone of that who watched cricket at that time has really fond memories of that Alex Tudor innings and you obviously played with him at Surrey. Uh, sort of how special was that innings to watch? Did it take you by surprise? Obviously, he had a lot of talent as a batsman. but Yeah, I mean, he just... He just went and smashed it, didn't he? I mean, the, again, this is all calibrated through the idea that smashing it was a was a was a strike rate of sixty back in those days. You know, it's not the same as it is now. Um, but it just, you know, he, he kind of teed off, made it through the the evening, and then came back the next day and, and spanked it everywhere. And, and we made the highest score in the Test match, didn't we? For for two or three or whatever it was in that in that run chase. Maybe the pitch just had started to get better. But Chuchas was a really, really talented boy. Really talented. I mean, genuinely quick. Um, before the sort of the worst of the back injuries. 
And, uh, you know, and a, and a proper player with the bat. I mean, he'd score a, a heck of a lot of runs for, for Essex when he was there. In fact, he'd get picked as a batsman in, in Essex's first team towards the back end of his career. Um, and it was, yeah, I mean, he got, and of course, Thorpey Forever is the villain for <laughs> yeah. for not letting him get to the 100, which, you know. Well, well Thorpey tells the story, doesn't he, that driving through London for the <laughs> next year or two afterwards was a nightmare. Because <laughs> if you pull up at, at the lights, <laughs> then... You keep your window up, otherwise you're just going to get torrents of abuse from the cars around. What are you doing to my boy, Chase? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean that. I mean that's a that's the only high spot of the of the of the entire summer. I think that. Re- I mean, really, you know, what New Zealand for them, fabulous win. Um, sort of, we, we always sort of focus on what was going on with us, but. You know, they, they had some, some good some players. Really well, good on, players. Well, on New Zealand, my memories of that series from a New Zealand perspective, it was Chris Kens who uh, he scored a quick 80 in the final test, which effectively won, yeah, won them the series. Yeah, banging chudes over the pavilion, didn't he? But he bowled, uh, I mean, obviously, everyone, everyone remembers the Chris Reid dismissal, but he bowled brilliant in that series, which he hadn't really done for a few years before mm. that. It was kind of, I mean, I loved his reputation's obviously taken a bit of a battering in, in recent times but I loved him as a player I just thought as a particularly as a, a batsman when it came off at, at number seven he was Dion extraordinary Nash, here yeah fantastic and then you had you had guys like Roger Twos and whatever who were serially annoying as, as players for Warwickshire and, what, and, and that but really good test players you know they, in fact they, they were a sort of they were a, a bit of a, a benchmark for what we could aspire to be you know, you'd, you'd become difficult to beat. You'd fight like mad for one another and can you know, get ugly runs and put yourself, keep yourself in games, all those types of things, all the sorts of stuff that New Zealand did so well in that series. Um, and then out of that, you hope that, you, you, that, that there are some very fine players there who are going to put in, put in huge performances. And that's, you know, that's what happened with England over the course of the next three or four, four or five years. On, the, on something you said earlier, <laughs> you listed out seven, eight, nine players who ended up having really good England careers. And mm. you said, but you just weren't a very good team. How, how does that happen when you have a lot of players who are very good cricketers, but the team's not doing very well? Well, I mean, I don't know. Again, the sort of the stock of what makes a very good cricketer, I suppose, is, is an interesting one. But again, if, think, if you individually, all of those people that I mentioned, Alex Stewart was one of the, one of the greats of the game, would have, would, have averaged, would have averaged mid-40s had he not been able to keep wicket as well as an opening batsman. Graham Thorpe was one of the, one of the best of the modern era for England. Um, Graham Hick, potentially one of the best that ever played. Mark Rambukash, same. Um, so batting-wise, you know, some fabulous, fabulous players. There. I managed to get in, in between them somehow. Um, perhaps that was what stuff Stewie, I don't know. Um, Headley, Caddick, um, Alan Mullally, handy performer. Tufnell, great, great bowler on his day. Um, you know, but nobody, but no, but but I never had the sense until my, until my second go at playing for England, and you discount Australia almost from those because they'd batter us anyway. But I never had the sense that anybody was playing for anything other than their own, because before central contracts, if you were worried that you were going to get dropped all the time anyway, the best thing you would do is look after the look after number one, get your get your sponsorships, get your contracts, get your cards, get your sort of personal notoriety. And it kind of, it wasn't that it didn't matter that you didn't win, but it didn't, but you didn't have that sort of that glue bonding you all together, whereby you would all go to the very last breath to, to make sure that the result was, was the one that you wanted. 
Um, and it's it's very hard to quantify that because because there is not a single professional cricketer that I play with that I would allege uh, was not competitive, did not desperately want to win for England. It was everybody desperately wanting to win for for one another. Um, Some of those names that you mentioned uh, have said to to Joe and to me, and it's been published out there that they're not exactly dreading that upcoming meet up with the team on the Tuesday night for the game on the Thursday, but they certainly won't, weren't bending over backwards to get there. And while there is obviously an immense amount of pride and all of that stuff, which goes without saying, the desire to be there in a dressing room that wasn't necessarily functioning as a dressing room ideally would became prohibitive to some of those those names that you mentioned. To, to, I mean, to, 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 to take it out of the... Off, to take it off the field a little bit, if you like... Um, there, were, there was very little sort of socialising that went on between the players. Um, number one, because of sort of like a, a, a being terrified of, of, of the press or whatever it was and things that people might write if you, were, if you were out having a few drinks with the boys or dinner or whatever. But also because there was never any time to do so. You know, we wouldn't meet. At, it, so 2000, 2001, when I got back into the side again, you would meet on a Monday night the team would meet on a Monday night for a test match starting Thursday, which meant that you weren't playing county cricket right up until Monday afternoon. So everyone would get together and you'd have, you'd go out and have a few drinks and a dinner on Monday night. And then there'd be various duties plus practice Tuesday, practice Wednesday, game Thursday. Right. So it felt like there was a proper build up into the test match back in 99. We were, people were still driving in from all over the place. Come Tuesday, come Wednesday. Yeah. And then driving and out then to play dri- one day. A, a and then day you go, after. you go and play, and then and then the second the game's over, whether it finishes in two, three, four, five days or whatever, everyone got in their cars and disappeared again. There was no, you know, you ne- you didn't celebrate your wins, you didn't talk about your losses, you just kind of you were just like borrowing a jumper, you know what I mean? Um, and so and so in, in, on that score, it didn't get a chance to matter as much. Of course you cared, and I'm not for a second saying that people didn't didn't care and didn't give a crap. But there was no none of that sort of shared um, shared responsibility, the shared memory of a great victory, shared um, the, the you know the shared pain of a loss because everyone was too busy going back to wherever they were going, going back to the people who really paid their wages. Yep. You know who were the counties, and and in many cases anxious about what the the phone call is going to tell them two or three days later. Correct, yeah, because there was no guarantee for anybody barring the the, the Stewarts and the Athertons and the saying that you were going to play. Call. There's loads of stories about players checking, not getting the phone call. Yes, yes, yes. It sounds like, I mean, it is another century technically, but it, <laughs> it sounds is. like and more, doesn't it? It sounds like so outdated and antiquated idea and way of doing things, and yet it's only it's only twenty odd years. And and if you think about the nineties as a whole. It was there was this constant battle between trying to you know the beginning of the the decade with Mickey Stewart trying to get the a, a team England club eth- ethos going with the fitness and the, you know all this type of thing and then sort of battling away against sort of trying to go forward and then it being dragged back again when Illingworth comes in and all of the ideas that Atherton and, and Gooch and Stewart had brought in and all of a sudden out the window you had this constant sort of push and pull between the the new way of doing things or the way that we'd thought we'd seen be so successful with the way Australia had done it and the way that and, and the easy fallback into sort of like there's just the, the same old same old crap that English cricket had done forever and ever and ever and that battle was constant, constant until Fletcher and, and central contracts until the until the the bond was broken between the um, the, the the counties being king 
and owning the players and the players feeling as though they were county players first and they and they borrowed a sweater to play for England. Until that was broken, all of the efforts that had been made were completely and utterly in vain. Mm. Completely. Mm. Um, that's really, really interesting. We did a podcast on the 2000 series against West Indies. I think we did it last summer, in just before the, just West, before Indies the series. West Indies visited. Yeah. Yeah. We had Dominic Cork and Craig White on the show, I think. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if, you, if you're interested in what happened next, just scroll oh, good through point. the... Well done, yeah. Um, I just didn't see that coming. <laughs> good. He's good scroll, at this. Scroll, <laughs> scroll through the podcast feed uh, about 50 podcasts ago. Can we um, put a link? We'll put a link on we'll Twitter. Link. We'll put a link on Twitter. Um, I say we. I, I yeah. won't put a link. But. <laughs> um, but thanks very much. That was really interesting. Cheers, Joe. Cheers, Phil. This has been the Wiz and Cricket Weekly Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, hit the subscribe button. Tell your friends and we'll be back next week. Podcast Network.